Welcome back to Elevation Church. Welcome back, Elevation Church. Because this is not the church, this building that we meet in, this room that we meet in. This is Studio B. It's a community theater. It's a really cool place. We lease it on Sunday mornings for a few hours. But this building, these walls, this platform, this is not the church. Y'all are the church. We are the church. And so welcome this morning. I'm glad you are here, church. We are continuing in a series that we just kicked off last week. And it's a series out of the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is all about the, um, the early days of the, of the Christian church, the New Testament church. Why are we investigating history like this, Todd? Why are we spending our time going back and, and looking at what happened in the first century church? Well, because I think there's a great parallel between where we are as Elevation Church and where the early church in the first century was. We're, there's a lot of similarities. Like, in the first century church, in the, in the, I mean, we're going back to the days like right after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Like we're within days right now, weeks of, of the ascension of Christ. And, and I think it's a lot like us because the church back then was a, a pretty small entity. It was a handful of people. And I look around Elevation Church and man, we're big compared to where we started two years ago, but we're small. Like we're a small, we're, we're a real small church. Y'all know that, right? We're a small church. We're not going to be a small church, but right now we're a small church. The church back then was small. The church back then was relatively unknown. This whole Christianity thing, they called it the way. I think that's a cool name for it, right? They called it the way. The way was, was new. They were just a little offshoot of, of Judaism. And really, frankly, a lot of the people had Jewish culture, in Jerusalem, like the epicenter of where it was all going down, had only just heard a little bit, like little mumblings and whisperings and rumors and innuendo about it. And so the church was small and relatively unknown. We're small and, I mean, let's be honest, we're relatively unknown in our community, right? Our building sits three blocks off the main street back there. We have signs for a couple hours on Sunday. There's only a handful of us out there talking about it. We wear our blue t-shirts and let people know, you know. But, but, we're a lot like them, small, relatively, un but full of potential, packed full of potential. When I look out here, I don't see a small church. I recognize that's where we are, but what I see is a year, two years, five years down the road from where we are right now, I see a packed house. This house cannot hold us anymore is what I see. I look at you and I see potential. Potential is just energy, it's power that's, that's not yet been unleashed. And I think God is going to do an unleashing work as we work our way through the book of Acts. This potential is going to be unleashed into our community. And some amazing things are going to happen. I believe that because amazing things were happening in the early days as recorded here in the, in the book of Acts. Amazing things. This book, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. And what it is, is really it's a continuation of the Gospels. Luke wrote it, one of the, one of the twelve, and he was an apostle. Now, how many of y'all have ever heard the word apostle and heard the word disciple, and you pretty much just came to the conclusion they all mean the same thing? I would throw myself in that boat, right? 
Some of y'all are wiser than me. Y'all are smart. Y'all done been to church longer than me or something. I don't know. But an apostle and a disciple are not the same thing. So before we go any further into the Acts of the Apostles, let's talk about the apostleship and discipleship just for a moment so that we're on the same page and we understand each other as we speak this, this language of the day. Apostle means one who is sent or one who has been entrusted with a message and sent out to deliver the message. Disciple is a follower or a devotee of a particular teacher. You with me? So the twelve that Jesus first called to him were disciples of Jesus because they came under Jesus' teaching. He was a rabbi, a teacher, and they came under his teaching and they became disciples. But later in the ministry that Jesus was starting, he sent people out. And thus apostleship began. The twelve disciples became twelve apostles. And throughout the pages of the New Testament, we find lots of other people called apostles. Paul was called an apostle. Timothy was an apostle. Barnabas was an apostle. Lots of others became apostles as they took the great commission that Jesus gave as his departing words before he ascended back into heaven. He said, go into all nations and make disciples and baptize them, teach them. That's the Great Commission. They took that commission literally, and they went and did something with it. And the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, is the record of what they did, when they did it, how they did it, and a lot of who did it. And there's a lot of great stuff right here for us to discover. So, just so we're all on the same page, all apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. We're talking about the Acts here of the Apostles. The first century church and what they did. Y'all ready to get into the Word this morning? Let's open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read oh, about 13 verses here to get us started. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they, they being the apostles, were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and, and came down and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Now, there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Well, let's start at the end of that passage. 
Isn't it interesting that wherever there is a mighty work of God going on, wherever the Lord is moving, wherever the Spirit is present and active, there will always be detractors and dissenters. There will always be somebody there to say, no, 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 that's not God. They're drunk. No, 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 no. They're crazy Christians. They're off their rockers. They're far right, religious right, wackos. There's always somebody out there to, die, to try to discredit God when he's doing a mighty work, when he's actively involved and working things in and through people. There will be other people to try to mess it up, to be naysayers, to be negative. The apostles encountered naysayers like the first rattle out of the box, the first thing. They just barely got started. They'd been hanging out at the house. Jesus told them when He ascended, don't do anything, don't go anywhere. Wait for the gift that my Father has promised. So here it is, Pentecost. Now Pentecost, by the way, for those of you who don't know, Pentecost was a celebration. It was a feast that they celebrated 50 days after the Passover. Hence the Penta. Took me a while to figure that one out. 50 days after the Passover, it's also called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks removed from the Passover. The faithful Jews from all over the place, would they would come together in uh, Jerusalem. It was, a, it was a, um, like a holiday where they would just travel back to Jerusalem and be together to celebrate. It was a lot like Passover in that regard. So you'd have these people making pilgrimages from all over the known world, coming to Jerusalem and packing out Jerusalem just like they did at the Passover. So right now, historically, as this record is, is the things being recorded are actually happening, they're about seven weeks, six to seven weeks removed from Jesus' crucifixion and from His resurrection, right in that time frame. Now, we know that after Jesus resurrected, He spent 40 days amongst the people, preaching and teaching and talking and greeting and touching and, and being seen and just being with the folks, being with His followers, being with those who did not yet know Him. So now we're 50 days removed from Passover, 40 days, so they're like a week to 10 days at this point from Jesus' ascension. If you factor in the three days in the grave and all, I mean, you could do the math and get real technical, but we're, we're just like a week to ten days away from where we left last week and Jesus is ascending into the clouds. And the apostles are dumbfounded, wondering, what do we do next? They've gone home, back to the room where Jesus said to stay, and they're hanging out, and this amazing thing happens. This wind this crazy, powerful, storm-like wind begins to blow from the heavens. And tongues of fire come down into the room. Any of y'all freaking out yet? Put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, I don't know, Luke. I don't know what we're going to do next. Yeah, John, I mean, Jesus said to sit here and wait. <laughs> Pow! Fire! What just happened? The Holy Spirit comes down and fills them. Pretty amazing. And they begin to speak 
in foreign languages. Languages they did not know, had never trained for, been taught, never spoken before. And what better time for God to send this gift of the Holy Spirit? What better time for Him to make His presence and His power known than when Jerusalem is filled with faithful Jews from all around the world, all over the place. They've come in, they've packed out the town, and this wind, this crazy, powerful, forceful wind blows and tongues of fire come down. And these people are like, we got to go check out what's going on over there. And the crowd gathers and these apostles begin to preach and to speak in languages that they don't know, but that their audience does. And the audience, faithful Jews, who would have had little to no information about the way. Jews from far off lands, Places Jesus never went. The disciples and the apostles never went. They're here in town. Just a few short weeks ago, seven weeks ago, some of these may have been here when Jesus was crucified. May have been their first exposure to Christ. Some may have never been. They may have only been able to make the the pilgrimage once a year, so they had to pick which feast. Or maybe some of them even once in a lifetime. But regardless, they're here. And they're hearing the gospel of Jesus. They're hearing the good news of sins forgiven. The good news of grace and of mercy. The good news of the sacrificial lamb, the perfect lamb of God, paying the penalty and the price for them that they might have real life and real freedom now and eternally. And they saw this thing happen before they ever heard the word, they, the wind and the fire, and they're drawn to it, and then the preaching, and how can they speak my language? It's amazing. Can you imagine how dumbstruck they might have been? How in awe, just, I mean, whoa. What better time for the Lord to present Himself and to demonstrate His power and His presence? Here they are, standing there, They've seen the violent wind. They've seen the tongues of fire come down. They're hearing these men preach in their languages. And then they hear from somewhere in the crowd, never mind them, they're drunk. I did that in my best hillbilly voice because it just sounds better when you call somebody drunk and you do it in that. They're drunk. Drunker and Cooter Brown. Too much wine. Might have been easy to believe. Because you're hearing something just crazy, something you've never had any experience with, but at the same time it had to be challenging because they saw the wind, or they heard the wind, they saw the fire, they, there's the men preaching in their land. How do you, how do you, well, you know what? It's a good thing that these naysayers were answered almost immediately because Peter began to preach. And he addressed the naysayers right off the top. Check out Acts 2. Verses 14 to 37. What did Peter do? He addressed the crowd right after all of this started and right after somebody says, they've had too much wine. Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. I'm imagining this is a big crowd. There was no microphones 
There's no amplification of his voice. So I think there's something miraculous happening here again. Peter stands up above the din, above the noise. He starts to speak and address the crowd. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you might suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, 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 no. This isn't a case of too much wine. Check out what the prophet Joel says. In the last days, now he's quoting Joel from the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. See, Peter knows what's just happened. Peter gets it. And he's trying to help everybody else in this crowd get it. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women. That was radical. Because up until this time, really, it was only men who would have had, you know, position and access to, to, to be before God and to do, you know, so this is a big deal. God's saying, I'm pouring it out on men and Women, my spirit is being given to every faithful follower. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's on a roll. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. He's repeated himself. Listen to me. Listen to what I say. Comes back again. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Elevation Church, listen to what Peter is saying. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Here he goes quoting scripture again. David said about him as he quotes the Psalms, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is there to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrected a resurrection of the Messiah, and he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, 
He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see now and hear now. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both the Lord and the Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? They got it. Peter had just preached maybe the shortest and most powerful message of the New Testament. He just gave the gospel in a few lines, a few minutes. And remember, as he's preaching, this crowd of people gathered around him are from all over the place. They speak different languages, and yet they all heard and they all understood. Something miraculous was happening right then, right there, and they got it. They could tell they were in the midst of a God thing, something way too powerful for Peter or for any person to do. Peter quotes Old Testament prophecy. He demonstrates Jesus as God, Jesus as the Messiah. He's showing them that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made way back in time, way back in their ancestry. All the scriptures they had been taught as faithful Jews were coming to life and they were living in the midst of an amazing moment in history. Peter was taking a big risk, by the way. Remember, we're just seven weeks removed, six weeks removed from Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Preaching like this, public speaking like this, could get a man arrested and stoned to death or crucified or imprisoned for life. Peter was taking a a big risk with his public ministry, launching into this sermon, this presentation of the gospel of Jesus. But he was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to preach an impassioned message that reached ready ears. And his risk was worth it. It was an effective message. The barrier of language, God broke it. The barrier of culture, cultural differences, God defeated them. These things were no longer standing in between the way and the rest of the Jewish culture, the rest of Judaism, no matter where they came from, what language they spoke, what different traditions they had. The barrier was broken and the truth was told and it was heard and the people were pierced to their hearts. What shall we do? 
What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000, I'm going to repeat that. Y'all might not have heard me over here. 3,000 were added to their number that day. What just happened? There's a lot of scripture we just covered. A lot of stuff going on. What happened? The apostles received the promised gift. God delivered on His promise. And these apostles, who just last week we saw, were kind of reluctant to act. He's gone. Now what? But the Holy Spirit fills them. And instantly, they leap into action. I'm not sure it was their own option. I'm not sure it was a choice for them to make in that moment. Because, I don't know about you guys, I've lived in Texas all of my life. I know a thing or two about powerful winds. Y'all ever been in one of these uh, tornadoes that we get around here? We live in Tornado Alley. If you've never been in one, you've seen them on the news, you know in 2011 we had one of the worst outbreaks of tornadoes in this Tornado Alley area that we've ever had. You've seen what a little F1 you know, can do. Strips trees of their leaves, get you a new roof, stuff like that. You've seen what an F5 can do. It wipes entire towns off the map, levels everything, kills people. This was a powerful wind, the Bible says that came down on them from heaven. This was a force, a potency, that I don't believe they could contain. I don't believe they could resist. You know, there's a, at Texas Tech University, they have a lab where they're still trying to come up with building materials and building uh, methods that are tornado-proof, that, are, you know, that don't let two-by-fours fly through walls and all this kind of stuff. We, we haven't figured it out yet. We put people in space and bring them home, we can send them to the depths of the ocean and bring them back. But we hadn't figured out how to resist the wind yet. And these apostles, even if they had wanted to, I don't believe they could have resisted the wind. And the good news is it was not a destructive wind. Well, it was. It destroyed all of the, all of the I don't know what to do now. It, it, it seems to have destroyed their, their resistance to act. It destroyed their, their fear about losing their freedom or even their lives as they stood and boldly preached the gospel of Jesus. What we see is the first real acts of the apostles. The first real movement in the New Testament church. 
we see it fueled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And the bottom line on the church then and today, the bottom line on individual lives then and today, is that without that Spirit filling you, without that uncontrollable force, that irresistible wind, you have no real power. Many of you are like me. You've spent years of your life seeking that power, seeking that significance, that, that reason why I'm even here. You've sought significance and power and authority in your career or in your relationships with men or women. You've, you've sought it in, in money and things. You've sought it all over the place. And you found the same thing that I've found. There's no real power in any of that. It doesn't matter how rich you are. There's always somebody richer. It doesn't matter what position you hold. There's always somebody who's your equal or superior. It doesn't matter which relationship you're in. There's always another one that seems to be more potent, more fulfilling. Real power for living, real power comes from Jesus in you. comes from God in you. The Spirit of God residing in your heart when you make a faith decision to follow Him, to make yourself a disciple by submitting your will to His. God says when you do that, just like that, just like the, the wind and the fire fell from heaven, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit just the way these apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit in your heart, you have real power for living. Too many of us spend our lives trying to, to get ourselves right so we can present ourselves to God. I, I hear you, Pastor Todd. I understand. I'm with you. I got all this sin over here. I got to go clean some stuff up. I want the power, but let me clean up first. And then I will come and present myself clean before God and say, empower me. I want your spirit. We got it backwards. You don't have the power to clean yourself. You can buy the baddest pressure washer Home Depot's got on the shelf and shower with it every day. You ain't going to scrub it all off, man. You can't do it. See, the power to clean your life is the power of the Holy Spirit. God loves you right where you are dirty and stained with sin, a filthy mess before Him. He loves you right where you are. And He's offering you the power to be cleaned up, to be made right with Him, and to live right for Him. See, so you, 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 don't, you don't get right and then go get with God. You go get with God, and the power of God makes you right. Stop trying to clean yourself up. 
Some of you have resisted this power of the Holy Spirit. You've, resi- you've missed out on the blessings of this life. You have missed out on things that God has for you to do. A mission He's ready to send you on. He wants to move you from discipleship to apostleship, by the way. When He gave the Great Commission, He didn't just give it to the, the handful of people that were standing there with Him. The Great Commission, go make disciples. Take the message with you. We're all called to be apostles in Christ. And we're holding up the Heisman hands like stiff-arming God. Don't get too close to me. And He's got power for you. He's got amazing things He's prepared for you to do. Miraculous things that you don't yet believe you are capable of. You might not even believe He's capable of it. But I promise you, the man standing before you is proof and evidence of the power and the grace and the mercy and the love of God. The depth of my depravity was immeasurable. Twenty years ago, I was a drug dealer. Twenty years ago, I was an addict. Twenty years ago, I made my living Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday taking my three earrings and my ponytail and my pockets full of illicit substances to Deep Ellum. Spending the night down there helping people live the life. Chased anything with a skirt or pants if it, you know, she looked good. (laughs) Filthy rags. I was a mess. God had no use for me. That's what I thought. And yet, He pulled me out of that. Saved me from that. When I was still crying out, there is no God. And anybody who places faith in Him is a fool. They're weak. I didn't know how weak I was. Thought I had power. Thought I had strength. I had money and I had, I had you know, I could get into the clubs in Deep Ellum without having to pay cover. I was a powerful man. The door guys loved me. Thought I was living the life. I don't know what your dirt is. I don't know what you're hiding in your closet. What filth is holding you back. But if you buy the lie that you've got to get right to get with God, you've missed the boat, baby. That's a lie. The enemy is lying to you because he wants to limit your power to your power. See, the enemy does not want the power and the presence of God put on display, being demonstrated in your life or in mine, in this church or any other church. He wants it bottled up, kept away, hidden. And if he can't get the naysayers to keep it under wraps, he'll just go ahead and be the naysayer for you and keep you limited, keep you powerless. This morning I want to offer anyone who wants to Step out of that powerless life, that power struggle where you're trying to gain power through position and authority, through money and and all the things that you might be in pursuit of. Real power to those who think they have to clean up their lives before they come before God. Real power to you Christians who have believed the naysayers and think that the Holy Spirit is some kind of religious Weirdo stuff, hocus pocus, weird, strange, keep those people away from me. 
The Holy Spirit is alive and well. And if you're a Christian, He lives inside of you. And He is ready to just do miraculous and amazing things. You felt, I know you have, that push from inside, that tug, that wind begin to blow. And you've done everything you can to control it. You cannot control it. And the longer you try, the harder you resist, the more likely that that wind will destroy you. It's going to destroy everything that you think is right, everything that you hold true, everything that you're trying to protect yourself from. It's going to blow it apart. 